0: kick is live it is thursday night december 29th year of our lord 2022 i have slept in my bed 12 nights since november 21st tonight will not be one of them we're headed off to atlanta moments after we wrap this show but it is a jam-packed show don't go anywhere we are high atop a forever soggy downtown nashville tennessee i got some thoughts on kirby smart and ryan day tonight because many of you have asked me to compare the two We will do so in our own unique way. We're going to see him do battle in about 48 hours down in Atlanta. I got the latest from the transfer portal. A lot of quarterbacks on the move. Some of them have yet to make decisions. Chris Hummer did a wonderful article yesterday. We'll get you even more updated tonight on the goings-on in the portal. Bold predictions revisited. The saga, not series, the saga continues. Also, you guys have a little problem in Iowa Ohio State, a number of your programs out there, actually, not necessarily enjoying the kind of synergy between the old collective and the athletic department as you would like? Are you worried that some of your rivals may gain an advantage on you? Well, you should be worried, but I humbly come to you tonight suggesting that the nature and the conversation around NIL is going to sound a lot different down the road, so maybe, just maybe, you are fretting for naught. We'll see. We will talk about it tonight. They're watching us in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Bristol, England. thank you guys. Uh, East Canton, Ohio, Warrenton, Georgia, all tuned in. Now, let me let you know before we dive into the show tonight what's going to happen? We got the semifinals, uh, four o'clock and eight o'clock Eastern time on Saturday. I'm going to be at the Ohio State, Georgia game. If you see me, say hello, I'll have some Academy gift cards with me. in lieu of doing a Sunday night show because it's New Year's Day and we will be traveling, and it's a holiday and whatnot. Um, I am going to release our Rapid Reaction videos for both of the playoff games Sunday morning. So you won't have to wait until Sunday night, check out the channel, you're on it already if you're watching on YouTube right now. Um, We will also post that in the pod feed, so it'll be a little unconventional, but the byproduct is you'll actually get the reaction to the games earlier than you normally would and then it is full speed ahead, and we'll eventually head out to Los Angeles, but we'll maintain a normal production schedule after that. It's just that Sunday's going to be a little wonky. Why? Because we have to navigate around Christmas and New Year's and having them on Sundays and having playoff games, and it's just a mess right now. Don't worry, we'll get it fixed. In the meantime, I want to dive into the show tonight, and I want to talk about a couple of guys that are going to be right at the forefront of the conversation Saturday night, uh, for better or for worse. Colin here is a As good an intro as I can give you. What do you think about Ryan Day and Kirby Smart? I guess that answer would have been different even this time last year than it is now. Uh, You'll notice that there's been wild fluctuation around both of them. Ryan Day right now is in the middle of just a a figurative storm around the perception tied to his name. Is he one of the best coaches in America? Is he one of the most overrated coaches in America? Uh, We haven't necessarily trafficked in that on this show, but it is out there, and it would be ignorant to suggest otherwise. A year ago, famously at this point, Kirby Smart, what had he done? Well, he had gone, I think, 0-4 for 4 against Nick Saban to that point. They had just lost in the SEC title game, but he was in the playoff, and they were about to go and bodybag Michigan, and then beat Alabama in a national championship rematch, and they were going to win the title, and then the, just the convention around his name was going to totally flip. We didn't know that yet, but that's what was coming. Maybe the same thing's coming for Ryan Day, for all we know. Who knows? But I was asked uh, over the past week, I was looking through our DMs and our question and answer mailbag, a lot of people were asking some version of the question, how do you think these two compare now? Cause some of you have really good memories and you remember a couple of years ago, I told you that guy right there, if you're watching on YouTube, Ryan Day, I thought next to Nick Saban, he's the guy I would want to attach my wagon to over the next five years. Uh, that answer is now Kirby Smart. So I'm gonna start off by telling you if I have a number two position, then uh, it's Kirby Smart. Having said that, I am also one to remind you that at least on this show, we don't do the wild fluctuation. Um, We do the whole honey versus water metaphor, which I've explained many times. And it's Meemaw's anyway, it's not mine. But both programs, I think, have their long-term head coaches. So I want to be really clear where I stand because then I want to spend the rest of this segment talking about where those guys will actually stand in the court of public opinion based on the outcomes Saturday, and then maybe fast-forwarding to LA in the national championship game, because it's really severe for Ryan Day. It's not so severe for Kirby Smart anymore. In fact, if you think about this matchup, it's really weird. Normally, I would say eight or nine times out of ten, the guy and the team in position for a repeat, they're the ones feeling the immense pressure. They're the ones shouldering the burden of high expectation. And I'm not saying there aren't high expectations for Georgia, but if you're talking about who's feeling more pressure, I, t- 10 out of 10 that pay attention to this sport would have to vote Ryan Day and Ohio State. There's no doubt about what Georgia is. Now, whether their team is good enough to win a title this year, that's almost a side conversation. Their program is not being doubted by anyone anymore, nor should it be. Ohio State's program is being doubted. Ryan Day at his core, the tenets and philosophies with which he's built that program are being questioned, or maybe somebody out there, maybe a lot of somebody's out there look and say, he didn't build it to begin with. That's our problem with him, the doubters out there of Ryan Day. Our problem is he didn't, he didn't build it. The old Jim Harbaugh quote, he started on third base and now he's just run backwards to second base. So why are we supposed to respect that? Why are we supposed to talk about him in the same breath as the Sabans or the Smarts or the Dabos of the world? How much could that change over the next eight quarters of football? Really four quarters. Let's just take it one step at a time. They're a six and a half point dog this Saturday against the Georgia Bulldogs. Things are gonna shift so radically one way or another for Ryan Day. So the whole comparative analysis of the two coaches, I don't really get into that all that much. But I will say Kirby Smart when they won that title last year, it's, it's as simple and as difficult as this. Once you slay the dragon, it only takes one time because remember, he did something and Georgia did something that people were knocking him for seemingly not being able to do. You know, the whole book on Kirby Smart, which was dumb to begin with, but the book was, oh, he can't beat Nick Saban. The guy went to overtime with him in 2017. You get to overtime with someone, I I assure you, you possess the ability to beat him. Whether you do it or not, that really depends on bounces of balls and field goal kickers and crazy stuff. If you get blown out 44-10, no, I'm going to question you. You go to overtime with someone, you could beat him. Next year, SEC championship game, there's a Hail Mary to the end zone, an attempt to tie the game. I'm standing right down there. You played him close, you could beat him. 2020, a little more decisive. But the point was, it was never he couldn't. It was just that he hadn't. And a lot of people needed to see it. Well, you got it in Indianapolis in early January. So that's out of the way now. What are they saying about Ryan Day? They, because I'm not a part of this group right now. Maybe I will be. Maybe you guys have beaten me to the punch. But a lot of folks now are of the opinion that Ryan Day can't win those big games. Ryan Day, when he goes up against a program that can match their physicality, or a program that has recruited on par with them, they get humiliated and humbled and embarrassed, and people talk about it as if it's happened 10 times. It hasn't, but you know how that happens. So what happens this Saturday, obviously going to go a long way in deciding, fair or not, how the locals and then how national media and punditry and fans and change treat him. But where was Kirby Smart this time a year ago? I keep going back to this. Because I don't think we do it enough. As fans, I don't think we do this enough. you got to be able to admit when you were wrong, and you got to be able to diagnose after the fact what you said about a guy. And I'm looking at my eye, Josh, right now. It's December 29th. I'm told some people don't like me saying that. I'm going to continue to say it. It's December 29th right now. This is right around that time last year. Seems like so long ago, everything was being questioned about Georgia. Everything. Because he... Very Smart, had gotten them to the brink again, and they had been embarrassed. They themselves had been humbled in Atlanta by Alabama, and it's the same old, same old. We keep recruiting number one, number two classes. We keep on slaughtering the SEC East, but if we keep keep on running into Nick Saban in Alabama, what's it all worth? Oh, and by the way, here was part B of that. This quarterback all of you are trumpeting and, and heralding as the greatest player in the history of Georgia football. A lot of you didn't want him to start the playoff game last year. A lot of you were sitting here saying, Kirby Smart's got to make the decision to start JT Daniels. No one wants to admit that. Thankfully, I've made some bad calls in my life, but I was not part of that camp. I was the part of the camp that that head coach at Georgia probably knows which guy gives him the best chance to win, and they're going to roll with him. His name's Stetson Bennett. They rolled with him, and he played his best football at the right time. They won the title. Ryan Day. There are people who question his play calling. Uh, There are people who question the toughness of his team. Here's what it takes, and here's all it takes. It takes leveraging some favorable matchups. It takes playing a more (laughs) defensive approach that is centered on winning instead of proving a point against your opponent, which I'm fully convinced they did to, to their detriment against Michigan. It's all it takes, you know. It's as simple and as hard as winning a big football game. Now psychologically, if they were to knock down this dragon of sorts this Saturday in Atlanta, boy, what it would do! All of a sudden, we would go from Ohio. A lot of people think Ohio State's going to get run out of the building Saturday. I don't believe that. I think it'll be a competitive game. I picked Georgia, picked them very close. But a lot of folks who are on the extremes, on the fringes of this conversation, would go from Ohio State's going to get run out of the building to there is nothing stopping Ohio State now if they beat Georgia 34 to 20 this Saturday night. Everybody, I think most people, I think it would be a wide consensus, Michigan's drawing them at the worst time. And I would agree with that, by the way. Like, I just don't, I'm never a fan of you having to play the same team twice. That's, that's where I stand on that. But I'm saying, Ryan Day, all of a sudden, I just, I, my, one of my favorite exercises, As before we move on here, one of my favorite exercises is to freeze thoughts and opinions the reason I never radically shift on these guys is because I don't wanna be caught by freezing cold takes. I don't, I don't wanna be that guy who was saying one thing and then I visibly 180 ed on that guy after four quarters of football. The reality is nothing about Saturday is gonna change who he is as a coach, nothing. He is who he is. You're gonna get results and then those results serve as his resume and I'm not a fool, I understand how this sport works. It's a result-oriented business, I get that. That's why if you say Ryan Day's resume is not good enough, okay, we can argue about his resume. But there are, there, there's a sizable portion of the college football public who will quite literally allow the book on him as a coach to be written and or radically altered based on four quarters of football. And really out of those four quarters, based on about a half a dozen plays, bounces of the ball, bobs, if you will, here or there. I, I just, I never, I never ascribe to that. So I guess a long-winded way of answering the question about comparing the two is, I think Kirby right now is where Ryan Day wants to be. I guess the difference is I'm willing to utter the following sentence on top of that. I think Ryan Day is fully capable of getting there. And I don't think everybody else believes in that right now. I do. However, I've picked him to lose, but I was very close to picking him to win. I have no confidence in my pick on that game. No confidence. So, be that as it may, looking forward to a great weekend in Atlanta. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Do you hear that sound? I watched, I watched It's a Wonderful Life, as is tradition on Christmas Eve. I hope the rest of you did as well. And those of you who have seen the movie, you know what it means when you hear the ringing of a bell. It means an angel gets its wings. But ironically, or maybe not so ironically, it's also the sound it makes when you walk out the door at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And I'm not saying that you're, you're giving an angel his wings every time you go there, but you're certainly granting a wish every time you go there. And I have it on good authority because I saw the receipts that certain members of my own family found a last minute out in the form of gifts at Academy Sports and Outdoors. I don't know what had to be last minute, but it was. Nevertheless, proper decisions were made. And I assume proper decisions were made by you and yours all over the country. And I'm very, very happy that Academy and myself and that order were able to assist you. However, they don't close their doors after Christmas. So, a lot of you got those gift cards, and the best gift cards are the ones that are generic, and you can use them wherever you want. They take them. Academy takes them. Academy.com, if you can't get there in person, they take them. Or, alternately, if you just have cold, hard cash, you feel like spending. You're not going to spend nearly as much of it there, and you're going to get everything you want. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our exclusive partner. The show is free because of them. Thank them so much, and looking forward to an exciting new year with them. They're watching us in Fort Kent, Maine tonight. <clears throat> and I fully understand what's happening right now. We're doing a live show and are bowl games on. So this will probably be the highest traffic replay show that we get all year, that's fine. Uh, but if you're watching us live, I appreciate it. Waynesboro, Tennessee, Scottsdale, Arizona. Appreciate it, appreciate it, appreciate it. I may even put an A on front of appreciate in the year 2023. The list of resolutions continues. I got some transfer portal intel and you're going to hear it. Sam Hartman is in the portal as of the moment, but it seems like any given moment he could end up hopping out of the portal and landing in South Bend, Indiana. Sam Hartman, a grad transfer, quarterback, feels like forever at Wake Forest. Really good numbers. You've, you've no doubt watched him play by now. I don't need to describe him as a quarterback to you, but here's the sitch up at Notre Dame. Tyler Button still there. There are questions about his long-term future. Drew Pine is not there anymore. He's headed off to Arizona State. And frankly, if they get Hartman in there, Drew Pine was going to be an afterthought anyway. So it looks like the betting favorite right now for Sam Hartman will be Notre Dame. Now that does not mean, I would encourage you, go to 247sports.com. Chris Hummer did a good rundown of a lot of the quarterbacks. I'm just touching on some of them, but a lot of the quarterbacks who were in the portal uh, were just in the portal Sam Hartman, Notre Dame, betting favorite right now. Keep an eye on it, because that stuff can change on a dime. What about Brennan Armstrong? This is a name that comes kind of out of left field. You know, if, you, if you're an ACC fan, or you bet on college football, or you're just a diehard fan, yeah, you know Brennan Armstrong. I've been around Virginia, it feels like, for a long time. He's in the portal right now. W- who are we watching here, though? Well, Oklahoma State. I was, I was reading a lot of Hummer stuff, and this makes a lot of sense. Oklahoma State a program to watch, I, I, you know, I, guess, I guess we could call them a slight betting favorite. I don't think that would be irresponsible. No one's setting actual odds on this stuff anyway, at least someone who wants to keep their money. But Brennan Armstrong to Oklahoma State, could it happen? Well, I would argue they need it to happen there because if, uh, if you've been following Oklahoma State, it was a catastrophic back half of the season for them. And then you saw a bunch of guys, including quarterback Spencer Sanders, jump in the transfer portal. Uh, Mike Gundy was really testy about the future of his program at his post-game press conference after the bowl loss, as he should be. What are they going to do? And I would answer that or I'd ask that question at a number of positions, but I'm especially asking it at quarterback, so they they have to have an answer cuz their quarterback depth right now, they don't have a guy on campus that can play winning football for them. I don't believe in 2023. So they need an answer via the portal. Brennan Armstrong could be that. But also they need some good news. There's been no good news for Oklahoma State football. And that's a program at one point this year, just to show you how long a football season is, they were the brief favorite to win the Big 12 around week four, week five. Remember that? Texas had fallen off. Oklahoma had lost three in a row. No one believed in the long-term sustainability yet of Kansas State, TCU, likewise. And Oklahoma State was the most proven commodity, and then it went splat, and it went splat in a hurry. Uh, speaking, well, actually, not speaking at all of Oregon State, but I want to go to Oregon State right quick. You out there celebrating Christmas may have taken it upon yourself to tune out of the goings on in college football. That's okay. We didn't, and so as you as you come back to the table, I want to let you know something. DJ Uyangalele is not in the portal anymore. He has landed. About as far away from Clemson, South Carolina as you could, unless you went to Hawaii, briefly mentioned, by the way, he has landed in Corvallis, Oregon. He is an Oregon State Beaver. What do we think of this? Well, I was doing radio out on the West Coast, as I will do again in the morning, joining our friends up there in Portland, and I was asked about this, and here's the most interesting facet here. There's a widely held assumption, I I guess I kind of agree with it, that DJ probably just wasn't slash isn't quite the player we thought he was going to be coming out of high school. That is not unfair. You you can say that respectfully without being scathing. However, what if we're wrong about that? And time will tell because he's not done. So he's got got some tread left on his tires here in in terms of being a college football player. My question, what if he goes up to Oregon State and he plays the best football we've seen him play so far? In and of itself, that doesn't mean anything. But what if it coincides with Clemson under Cade Klubnick still not really having the spark that you expect from Clemson football? All of a sudden, here's what could happen. We've seen it a million times before. A guy moves on to what, do, don't, to what doesn't seem like to be greener pastures, but yet his, his numbers are better, and he looks more comfortable, and he's in rhythm, and he's in sync, and then you look back at his old place, Where they thought they'd be better without him, and they're still clunking along. And I'm just I'm just picturing a world, because this is a possible scenario. Midway through 2023. Clemson's already dropped a game, they shouldn't drop, and meanwhile, Oregon State's right there in the thick of it again. DJ's playing really good ball. Also, the system they run out there, not nearly as pass-heavy, so it probably suits him stylistically a lot more. Let's just keep an eye on it. I think Kay Klubnick is a potentially great player. I think that That combined with hopefully some alterations Debos, when he makes to his program, will lead to a bounce back year of sorts for Clemson. Could be a win win. Both parties could be better off in 2023. We shall see. Hudson Card, the Christmas crowd, in, in other words, the normal people among us who weren't paying as much attention to the portal over the past week. Did you know Hudson Card found a new home too? And it's In West Lafayette, Indiana? That's right. He's a Boilermaker. Now, that you may have known. But how many of you could name the current head coach at Purdue? It's dead air. I'm just giving you time to think. It is Ryan Walters, who was the defensive coordinator for Illinois this year. Broyles Award finalist, by the way. And furthermore, how many of you can name the offensive coordinator at Purdue right now? because these are all new answers, obviously. It's Graham Harrell. And if you want to make some sense of Hudson Card, out of all the places he could have gone, choosing to go from Austin to Purdue, you need look no further than the offensive coordinator he's linking up with, uh, which is a pivotal thing to pay attention to, obviously, if you've got a new staff coming in. Hudson Card, this was very quiet. This will not draw nearly the attention of some of the other more High-profile transfers. There may be some guys who aren't even in the portal yet, who still go in the portal that command more attention than this. But if you look at some of the 2022 Big Ten passing ranks, Purdue was first in completions, attempts, passing yards. So are we to assume that those numbers fall off a cliff because they hired a defensive-minded coach? Or are we to believe that getting a guy who's been through the ringer a little bit at quarterback, combining him with a proven, to some degree, Offensive coordinator and Graham Harrell, and, and hopefully Ryan Walters sort of turning the keys over to those guys. Are we to assume that we'll get more of the same? Potentially. We'll see. I am very, very fascinated by that, by that link up, though. Uh, Georgia made some noise, too. Dominic Lovett, the receiver out of Missouri, he landed at Georgia over the Christmas break. Uh, so did Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State. He landed there. And those are a couple of guys that, you know, Dominic Lovett. 850-yard reception kind of guy. Ra rah Thomas had 626 this year. In the right system, they are both 1,000-yard potential guys. Not predicting it for either one. That is a hard stat to come by. The opportunity will be there for either one of them to break out. So keep an eye on all these, and, and as I have said many times, I'll reiterate it once more, we fully expect a second wave in the transfer portal and it could be quarterbacks. You just never know. So when these playoff games start happening, you know, for, for better or for worse, we will find out about two of these rosters maybe by early next week, because either TCU or Michigan is going to be out. Their season will be over. Either Georgia or Ohio State will see their season end this Saturday, and then we'll find out if some guys off those rosters are moving. Uh, we got Utah and Penn State in the Rose Bowl coming up. Well, I mean, Stands to reason, some guys could move on from those programs. We'll see. I want to get to this this NIL topic here. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. If you're tuned in live, go ahead and like the video. If you're watching the replay, also, same instructions, like the video. Let's take a little sip from the chalice. Um, Before I dive into this NIL topic, I told a story on the Tuesday night show, which a lot of you did not hear because you've been on break. It's understandable. I, don't, I understand the lower viewership numbers over Christmas break. There, there were some good stories and bad stories on the Tuesday show. I actually put the individual video up on the channel. So if you, if, you see a, if you see a thumbnail with Chip Kelly's face on it, it's got some interesting stories in there. One of them has to do with caffeine ingestion. One of them has to do with a river runs through it and a certain head coach on the West Coast. Strongly advise you to go check out those two stories. It won't be the highest traffic video we do. The SEO is terrible on it, but it's worth your time. If you like stories. All right, NIL is an issue for some. It's a benefit and a weapon for others. Ohio State, you've heard a lot of friction around there and hopefully they're getting their act together. Iowa. I know most of you probably aren't following the the minute-to-minute goings-on in Iowa City, but Gary Barda up there is the athletic director. And then Brad Heinrichs, I believe, is the name of the guy who runs the Swarm Collective. That's just the name of Iowa football's collective. And there's been a nice little back and forth, nice little rift, good old-fashioned rift, if you will, between Mr. Heinrichs and the collective there and the athletic department. And the athletic department is, is sort of cold-shouldering, if not outright stonewalling, the collective. And those folks you see in the B-roll, Iowa fans, they're caught in the middle. They're not caught in the middle at all. They're a little aggravated at their, their athletic department right now because they perceive their AD and their athletic department's approach to be very antiquated and very, very um, backwards thinking. And they are looking at their athletic department and worried— they're not alone. It's just I was the poster child for this right now. They're worried that they're voluntarily handcuffing themselves while some of their rivals look at them as they disappear into the distance. Not good, right? Well, there are, there's a lot going on there. And they're going to tell you Title 9. It's BS. Uh this is not this is this does not start and end with Title IX. Title IX is a convenient excuse that a lot of people put on this. And by that, for those of you unfamiliar with what's going on up here, the Brad Heinrichs of the world, it, it just fill in the blank, your, your university, your collective, here's what they want. They wanna be able to raise money to pay the players. That's what they want. I think we all get that. That's legal, by the way. And what they need is access to some information that the athletic department has. For instance, it would go a long way for your local collective to have access to things like email lists, donor sheets. Some universities have been very hesitant to hand that information over. And there are several reasons why. Now on the surface, apparently I was trying to tell you, well, we can't do this until we can make sure that we're in compliance with Title IX. Your collective's not beholden to Title IX rules. Your university would be, if your university was cutting checks to players, Uh, That's why that's not the way it works right now. Maybe in the future we see things change. Your collective's not beholden to that. So anyone who tells you it's a Title IX thing is trying to cover up the real reason. Here's the real reason. And I'm just going to tell you like it is, and then they can make whatever they want of it. There There are some programs out there who are football first at the expense of everything else because they will look you in the eye and say, football funds everything around here. Get out of football's way. That is how I run Pate State, for example. There are other programs that look at college football and they say, that's great, but you know, what about women's golf? Uh, What about track and field? I'm not here to rain on women's golf or track and field. I'm for as many scholarship programs and as many opportunities for people to advance themselves academically and athletically as possible. Sound like an athletic director right now. I'm all for that. Here is the problem, and here is why some of your ADs are very hesitant to hand over that information to your collective. They know when that collective gets their hands on those donor lists. (laughs) Those donors are going to be coerced, willingly, into redirecting a lot of their donation money solely to football. And a lot of the ways that those administrators got in the positions they are, are because coaches of non-football sports with clout put them there. So those non-football coaches behind the scenes are knocking on the door saying, don't you dare hang us out to dry. I I need my new indoor putting green. Like we, we over at track and field, we on the baseball team, we need things and we're not gonna get them if all our donors are just putting money into a collective to go play football players or go pay football players. That's valid, okay? So you can understand how there are a lot of qualms that some people have, first time I've used qualm this year, a lot of qualms that some non-football related entities would have. Nevertheless, that's where we are today. Now, I don't think this is gonna be a problem forever. I think the Iowas of the world are eventually gonna get their act together. I don't think Gary Barta is selfish, I don't think the guy's stupid, I think he's got tons more on his plate behind the scenes than you could ever imagine. Having said that, It's a big boy position. It's a heat position, and that's where he's got to operate. Otherwise, you got to bow out and let somebody else sit in that AD chair. So ultimately, I think they'll get that figured out. Here is why I'm not going to waste a lot of time on this portion, the internal squabbling with the collectives. The conversation around NIL I think is going to change, and I think it's going to change pretty rapidly. You may look at it right now and say, oh, this is a mess, and to some degree it is. You, You have got to cry before you even crawl. And you got to crawl before you walk. And you got to walk before you run. And you even stumble at times when you do that. But eventually, you get this whole walking thing. You get this whole life thing figured out. And then you become a functioning adult. Well, in the grand scheme of things, in the NIL world, we're still crying. We're, we're still having to be fed by bottle. We don't even have our feet under us yet. There is coming a day, though, where in the NIL world, we do have our feet under us, collectively, pun intended. And at that point, guys, I really don't think the collective's conversation is gonna be at the forefront of a lot of the squabbling and a lot of the arguing. Now, the arguing may remain. I just, I think you're gonna find the talking points will radically shift because the focus will radically shift. And in the future, you'll go from saying NIL which is this, this holistic term right now, it's the umbrella that you put over everything that involves paying players, you'll go from just talking about NIL to compartmentalizing NIL. And that's the reality. That's the way it works now. It's just not talked about this way. You want to talk about NIL the proper way, you don't just say NIL. You talk about different compartments. One compartment is roster value, and that is absolutely how much they'll pay you to come, pay, come play football for them right now. But the other is brand value. Brand value is going to dominate the conversation down the road, if not nearly immediately. Brand value is not how much money can I get from a collective. Brand value is because I go play middle linebacker for Penn State, T-Mobile wants to have interest in me, or the local Ford dealership wants to have interest in me. Basically, the truer spirit of NIL. Right now, it's mom and pop as it relates to how that all operates. That's going to change. It's going to change really quickly. Because here's here's the hard truth, and this is not a bad thing for players. It's a tough pill to swallow initially, but once you swallow it, you realize, oh my goodness, this pill just opened up a whole new world for me. The value is not in the left tackle who plays for LSU. The value is the fact that that left tackle is wearing LSU's logo on his chest and on his helmet. The IP, that brand at LSU had more value before that kid was ever born than he could ever give that brand. He's good enough for LSU to allow him to play there on their platform, and in exchange, what they get is his service. Where you realize the ultimate value is when you blend the two. Group licensing has existed forever in pro sports, okay? Group licensing meaning the big boy brands, they, they basically group themselves together and they're in bed with every pro sports organization, and at the conference and national level, from advertising perspective, they do it with college football too. That ocean of money is going to be redirected in the coming years into the NIL world. You know, your, your Lear, fields, your IMGs, you just hear that in a tagline on your local radio feed every now and then, those are going to be monsters in this game. And down the road, what you're gonna talk about is not so much can i get 185 from this collective and 2 and a quarter from this collective you'll still have roster value but the brand value in other words because i go play for the university of texas and they have group licensing deals with with seven of the top 20 brands in america brands whose commercials i see on tv every time i turn it on just because i put that longhorn logo on I'm getting money funneled to me from those brands via group licensing deals? Kaching! Here's why I know we are going to redirect the ocean of NIL money that way. Because that way, guess who else enriches themselves? Guess who else deepens their pockets? Your local university. Because we have redirected and recentered the focus from darkroom, shady deals, as you see them, to, oh. You mean we once again realize it is our IP. It is our logo you're putting on that gives you a little value. And that's going to flow straight through that athletic department. That's where we're headed. It's not there yet. So right now you still have a lot of these fights about whether your athletic director will turn over donor lists to your local collective organizer and which ones will they and won't they endorse and can coaches control it. It's a mess right now. Just like it's a mess when that little baby of yours has to first learn to take those steps, but eventually they're nine years old and they can function on their own to some degree. Still need guidance at nine years old, but they can walk, they can talk, they can chew gum at the same time. NIL is going to look a whole lot different down the road. So I know it seems like the end of the world right now at Iowa, and I know at Ohio State you guys have been none too pleased with how things have operated behind the scenes. It's not going to happen overnight. But the, the premier brands out there, and that includes the Iowas of the world, group licensing is ultimately, and, and brand value in NIL, that's ultimately going to be what sets you apart and you'll be fine. But again, not overnight. Could we, uh, could we take a couple of minutes here and just revisit some bold predictions? This has been so fun for me. Dare I say therapeutic. It's been therapeutic for me. The bold prediction segments, we did them all of August. I just asked, if you had to bet money, what would you bet your money on? Give me some bold predictions. Well, we got four of them tonight that I rated eight or higher on the boldness scale. Let's see if any of them hit. The first one did not. I had no confidence in Nathan's prediction. God bless you, Nathan. I just did not believe in this. He said, Georgia's defense will be better statistically than last year after the regular season. Well, here we are. We have concluded the regular season. And Georgia, they gave up 10.2 points per game last year. They gave up 12.8 this year. Still phenomenal. Uh, 9.5, my bad, 9.5 points per game last year. It was just unrealistic to think that that historical unit was going to be topped by this year's unit. Uh, So you see the passing statistics, that's really what fell off even more precipitously. Rushing yards per game a little bit better this year than last year. But I put a 9.25 on this. I just thought it was a little too bold. And Nathan, it was. Here's the good news. You've still got the number one overall team in the country. They're still favored to win a back-to-back national championship. And we will see them. I think against their toughest offensive test of the year this Saturday night in Atlanta. Next up, let's go to the Big Ten. This one was doomed from the outset. Wisconsin goes 11-1 and becomes the first Big Ten East school to win the conference title game since 2012. That should say Big 10 West. It wasn't my tweet. I have no control over it. Uh, yeah, it would have been one thing if you told me they're gonna win the West, that's fine. They were not winning the Big 10. And here's how I know this. Cause the next team from the West that wins the conference will be the first team from the West that wins the conference. It's never happened. Totally lopsided in the Big 10 right now. Uh, they were plus 1,000 to win the conference in preseason. They ended up going 7-6. Uh, the Big Ten West, they, there was never a team that even thought about emerging over there as a legitimate threat. And that was the entire story of the Big Ten this season. Um, there's nothing more to say. I put a 9 on that, and I was absolutely on the money. It wasn't that hard to see. I, I take little credit for that. Next up, we go out to the West Coast. This one from Gatorfella was a little little intricate, little detailed here. He said UCLA will be one of the two teams in the Pac-12 conference title game. USC will not be the other. So what do we need here? We need Chip Kelly and company to, to crash the conference title game, and they can't play USC. And I put, a, I put an eight and a quarter on that one. I was high on UCLA. Uh, they were the fourth odds-on favorite to win the Pac-12 in the preseason. So, it wasn't crazy to think they'd play for the Pac 12 title game. The problem was, USC was the favorite to win the conference. And for your prediction to come true, they can't even make the conference title game. This wasn't that far away from happening, though. If you'll recall, UCLA was in prime position, even after they lost to Oregon. They were in prime position, but the week before they played USC, they lost to Arizona. Then they lost to USC. Who knows? Who amongst us knows how differently things could have turned out? As it turns out UCLA is at home on Conference Title Saturday. USC's there. They lose to Utah, but that one did not pan out. What about the ACC championship picture? How about this little prediction from August? North Carolina wins the ACC and they go to the playoff. Watching from Lincoln, Georgia, home of the Red Devils and Garrison Hurst. Well, that may be true, but this prediction was not. I gave this one a nine on the boldness scale. North Carolina was plus 1,200 to win the ACC. Again, the prediction is not they're going to make it. They're going to win the conference title game. Well, they got there. I don't know if you agree with this, but I watched the team all year. They never felt like a legitimate threat to me, and they ended up playing for the conference title. They just never felt legit to me. And even even if they did at some point in the year, Man, they lost to Georgia Tech three weeks before the conference title game, or two weeks before the conference title game. Then they lost to NC State the week before the conference title game. Then they got blown out by Clemson, and there was just, there was never a time. Even when Clemson was faltering, there was never a time where I thought, yep, Mac Brown's going to do it this year. This is the time. This is the team. I just, I just, they never really got solid legs under them. Congratulations for making it to the conference title game, though. As for Penn State, we we tried to find what grade I put on this prediction. We couldn't find it. Here's the prediction, though. Penn State has another above-average season, and people truly question the new James Franklin contract. Now, producer Jesse is not here tonight because producer Jesse allegedly thought he had booked an 8 a.m. flight to Nashville this morning. In reality, he booked himself an 8 p.m. flight. I I guess he may be in the air right now. I don't know. But um, be that as it may, he did send me a little research packet today. So thank you, Jesse. Safe travels. And on this particular response, he got personal with it. And he said, well, Penn State didn't have an above average season. They had a great season. They went 10-2. and 2. We, he used we a lot. We are going to the Rose Bowl. And we are not questioning James Franklin. In fact, we have a lot of hope. And then he capitalized all the letters in the word hope whatever. And then he said, Drew Aller plus these running backs plus a solid defense equals Big Ten championship contenders next year. I made up that last part, but he believes it. I I know him better than he knows himself. So no one's questioning James Franklin there right now. They are a program just like Florida State. They're not just like Florida State, but I am watching those two programs through the same lens of programs that no one's talking about on the national stage because there are bigger dogs in their own conference to focus on, but they keep steadily improving and they've they've got some mojo working in the right direction. And it's it's gonna be one of those things, at least I hope it is for their sake, it's gonna be one of those things where they keep chopping. Kirby Smart talks about it all the time, just keep chopping that wood. Greg Sciano used to talk about it all the time when Rutgers played like every Thursday night back in the day, just keep chopping wood, keep chopping wood. It could be on the 10th stroke. It could be on the 38th stroke. But eventually, that tree will fall. Unless the foreman comes and yanks you off the job, that tree will eventually fall. Or if your axe breaks. A lot of addendums to that. But if you keep chopping, sometimes good things can happen. Who knows? Maybe next year's the timber year. Timber year. Put it on the t-shirt. No one else has said that about Penn State. So those were some bold predictions. Um, let's see. One, two, None of them came true. Bad night for bold predictions. We have a question that I need to address before we wrap the show up tonight. And uh, I'll show you the question and then uh, adjust myself in the chair here right quick. And it's interesting because it is not as it appears. So here's, here's Scott's question. Scott asked, why are these coaches so paranoid about opening practices to the public? We only get to see glorified stretching. Scott is upset. And he is in Avon, Indiana, and uh, you'll notice if you have followed me on the socials at Lake Kick Josh for any length of time, or you watch the show for any length of time, I've spoken about this before, and I've told you I think there's a lot of paranoia involved with how coaches run their programs and, and run practices. However, you have not heard me talk about this lately, have you? Here's why: I got set straight on it. One of the benefits when we travel. Is we get to talk to coaches a lot. And a lot of coaches watch this show and listen to the show. And when I say something that is either incorrect or not fully informed, we have got a small army of coaches and player personnel types. They'll jump in your DMs, they'll text you, and they'll say, hey, here's what you need to know. Well, on this particular topic, I didn't see the whole picture. I see the whole picture now. Paranoia is certainly part of it. Like today in Atlanta, they had the Peach Bowl media viewing for practice. And Georgia sat there and stretched in front of them for 15 minutes. That's all you got to see. And then you leave, and then they get to actual work. And that happens a lot during the season, too. And so for a little while, they could say, oh, it's because of COVID. Well, it's not COVID anymore, so, so it's back to just a normal world, and you still can't watch just because we say so. Um, why is that? Is it just paranoia? Why is that? There's, a, there's one calling me right now. I'll have to text him back. So I, w- I want to answer the question by asking you a question because I want to help you see what's going on here. Because as usual, someone outside the football complex has, has fumbled the ball. And as a result, you don't get something that really it would be nice to have access to why is December a mess in college football right now? Well, the calendar is a mess because people who have no clue how to run an athletic department or a football program are the ones who wrote the calendar and wrote the rules. And that's just the way it is right now until further notice. We've been talking about that until we've been blue in the face. The calendar for college football is messed up because people who have no clue what it takes to run a football program make the calendar. Well, similarly, in the world of staffing and in the world of why you can't see more open practices, what if I told you it's because people who have no clue how to run a football program are the ones who make the rules on that sort of thing. You may say, "No one made a rule that said coaches can't allow me to watch practice, did they?" No, to my knowledge, they didn't make that rule. Here's the in the weeds on this. I know a lot of you probably don't know every page of the NCAA rulebook because it is multiple phone books put together. But you may sit there and think to yourself, I'd love to see open practices. I would too. I'd love to watch full practices or or maybe just one or two a week. Coaching staffs have their hands tied behind their back right now. It's not just paranoia. It's not that they're worried that that people will spy on them. Yeah, there's some of that. And truthfully, they don't don't want to deal with the headache. But coaches don't open practice more because you cannot see what's going on at practice. And I don't mean installs. And I don't mean who's hurt and who's not. Some of that's true. They can't let you see how they operate practice because they're not doing it by the book because the NCAA, predictably, has drugged their feet on passing measures that allow you to actually see what goes on. Let me paint a picture for you right now. I want you to imagine with 10 on-field staffers and 4 on-field grad assistants trying to operate a football practice. You two-spot, which means you got basically two practices going on at the same time. You call plays, you're subbing. You are actually trying to execute hands-on teaching and coaching, and you're doing all that with what? With one head coach? 10 on-field staffers and four grad assistants? I think you got five strength coaches out there too. Nobody at the highest levels of college football can operate a practice like that effectively. Translation, we can't let you see how we practice. Once we close the doors, Once we sweep the media out of here, then we bring that army of support staff out here who, as of this moment, technically aren't even allowed to be coaching on the field hands on, which is ludicrous and it's antiquated and it's a rule, in fairness, that there's been a lot of talk about changing to allow a much fatter on field staff. But to this point, they haven't changed it. Well, as a result, we got to close practice because we're not going to practice under antiquated rules. We're going to bring those guys out of the tunnel as soon as we do close practice. It's just that in the meantime, we got to close it up. We cannot let you see this happening because we'll get in trouble. We'll get popped on the wrist, or even worse, two of those staffers probably won't be able to go out on the road and recruit for a few weeks. And so, of course, there's pushback on it, and that's why there are our feet being drugged. There's pushback because some of the have-nots allege that some of the haves, given unlimited staff size, will just go grab up all the coaches and they'll bury them as, as the 16th quality control kicking specialist just so you can't have them. I would argue, I would counter with the fact that if you can offer hands-on with a position group and they can just bury someone on a special teams depth chart, you're probably going to get quality candidates. Be that as it may, what is best for the players and what is best for the ultimate product? NFL practices are open. They do just fine. They execute at a high level. But that's because they're not having to work around really ridiculous antiquated rules like you do in college football. So, some coaches won't let you watch their practices because they're paranoid. Other coaches won't let you watch their practices because, by the letter of the law, they're not allowed to let you watch how they practice right now. They'd love to change it. They'd love to. They can't because it's out of their hands. So, what's the moral of the story? Seems like every time we get into an argument these days, if you want to blame someone, why not? Blame the NCAA. Appreciate you guys watching. I'm about to drive to Atlanta in like uh, 10 minutes because I'm not chancing it with Southwest and Delta does not have a late flight out of Nashville to Atlanta tonight. Appreciate you guys watching. Uh, Make sure you remember, no Sunday night show. So every bit of reaction for the college football playoff and anything else that happens between now and then, it'll be on the channel Sunday morning. Make sure you're checking that. Also, make sure you're following on the socials. I'm going to give you a ton of access. I'm going to give you a ton of behind-the-scenes looks. That Instagram story should be lit up, at Josh. So all weekend, make sure you're following there. Ramen Noodle Express, we put some more best bets out, put several of them out. If you missed that, it's on Twitter right now, at Josh. We already hit Texas Tech last night. Got several more to go. So busy weekend ahead. Appreciate you guys so much taking time to watch us. For Director Colin, for the inbound producer Jesse, and all of our production assistants and executives. Belchie, Belchie in the chair tonight. We appreciate him. I'm Josh Bate. Take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll talk soon. God bless.